Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. So welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach Podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am to have as a guest in the show the... I don't know how to describe this guy. There's so many adjectives. Uh, An amazing character, hysterical, funny, educated, brilliant, insightful, creative, entrepreneurial. I mean, this guy is uh, Mark Leonard is who I'm talking about. And let me just tell you a little bit about this and strap in for this because this is something. Okay. Mark's really quite a character and I can't, I can't tell you how excited I am to have him here. Mark is a sustainability practitioner a sustainability practitioner. So it starts with that. And like, where have you ever even heard that? And it comes from his insights that everything that we're doing in policy and governance and regulation and enforcement was not creating a sustainable future for human beings on the planet. He felt that there was a chance that making aspects of Buddhist insight and practice accessible to a larger audience had the chance of creating the systemic change that we need to facilitate sustainability. And this insight that it was a systemic issue led him on a path to um, create the and establish uh, one of the co-creators of the Oxford Mindfulness Center. And then doing that, he adapted MBCT therapy, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, to a workplace training. Now, in endeavoring to take that training and deliver it, he had a key insight himself, an observation that the social interactions in that group were as powerful or more powerful in helping the, the participants engage in learning mindfulness than the training itself. And in in and that obviously requires some adaptation, some revis- revisiting the entire framework for delivering this training. And so in doing that, he created the mindfulness-based organizational education to focus on these new insights and developed a training that has been formally recognized by the British and Dutch Mindfulness Teachers Association as the very first to practice embrace short guided meditations. Now, uh, this mindfulness-based organizational education, we'll call it MBOE sometimes in this podcast, is has is evidence-based from trials that they ran with the National Health Service with the hospital staff, and the results were published in a peer-reviewed journal, Mindfulness. Now he's working on building an international team to help promote the mindfulness-based education um, practices, policies, and the message. Um, so welcome to the show, Mark Leonard. So happy to have you here. Did I get that right? Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Brett, so much. And and I'm kind of kind of th- calling the theoretical framework, if you like, social mindfulness. Yes. And and and, and the course itself is like uh is MBOE. So it's a specific course. You know, it means that the theory of social mindfulness is that 
it's mindfulness is as Evan Thompson described it in a keynote, his closing keynote speech uh, or closing keynote for the International Symposium on Cognitive Science. I think it is in 2016. He said, mindfulness is a, a social embodied process or he calls it he now says it's social embodied mindfulness and evan thompson was one of the the co-authors of the you know uh, the seminal book uh the the embodied mind by francisco varela now published actually published in this in the same year as john kabat-zinn's um uh full catastrophe living oh wow yeah. and so we and we know how that ran in yeah. terms of like you know mindful john kabat-zinn his, you know, his work is so mainstream. Um, and, but still today in my own work, um, I'm deeply aligned with your, your, your ideas around social mindfulness and my own coach training. I, I help coaches learn mindfulness in relationship to their clients and then help their clients learn mindfulness in relationship to their world. So, so I'm very much aligned with that. And I, and I'm curious, what's your experience with, the the notion of social mindfulness in contrast to what you might call the John Kabat-Zinn approach, or I, if there is such a thing as the John Kabat-Zinn approach, but what you might call traditional mindfulness training. Well, I think you know it's generally assumed. You know, there's this there's this very beautiful structure that uh, John Kabat-Zinn came up with, um, and it's clearly has had you know, it has all sorts of benefits for a number of people. And this has been adapted and trialed. And, you know, there are now, well, I don't know how many hundreds of, of trials have been, have been, you know, uh, carried out and, and, and beneficial outcomes have been, you know, published on the benefits of the sort of standard eight week format with, you know, that's sometimes described as a semi-intensive meditation training or an intensive meditation training it asks about 60 hours of meditation mindfulness meditation over eight weeks so that's the standard kind of thinking that this amount of mindfulness meditation has this effect yeah exactly uh -huh. and i guess my my view is that it's more about context it's interactions it's expectations it's it's much more sophisticated i mean when when somebody comes into you know a, a therapy that you know a therapeutic environment they have all sorts of expectations assumptions about how that's going to work out mm -hmm. and and i think these are you know really have a really powerful influence you know i'm not saying it's a bad thing to help people deal with chronic pain and stress and depression and stuff but you know, from my point of view, these, these, you know, chronic stress, depression, anxiety, these are really symptoms of something's a deeper problem. And I'm starting from a point where the first thing that I recognize is that stress, depression, anxiety are normal human responses to a maladapted society, to a maladapted, to an experience that drives people to do this. You know, in the UK, 25% of people this is 2014 figures so we're talking we're going back nearly a decade 25 mm percent -hmm. of the population are, are, are said to have uh, you know present with a mental health diagnosable mental health problem yeah you know, that's not there's something wrong there you know 25 mm -hmm. percent are presenting with that kind of level of 
you know, it's that kind of level of mental health problems in this in society. We're talking like seventy five percent, eighty percent of people are the walking wounded. Well, mm-hmm. you know, the the rest, a huge proportion of the rest of the people are walking wounded. People are coping at the moment. So, you know, the key idea is that we can we're going to try and use mindfulness to understand what's going wrong, not just in our own in our own in our own experience, but how we can use mindfulness to work together to understand each other to work together to change the conditions the social conditions change the way our lives work collectively to to come up with ways of solving this deeper systemic crisis another aspect of which is uh the way we are driving ourselves to you know what is you know geologic in geological time pretty rapid extinction (laughs) you know i mean it may you know if we go on the way we are going there's going to be billions who are going to die very unpleasant deaths this century yeah yeah Um, that's a a, i mean and this ought to be you would think some kind of a wake-up call yeah and so what what do you think though like how do you get people to snap to the truth of their experience Well as I said I mean I as you said in the introduction you know your lovely introduction there it's like I came to the conclusion that it was social interactions that were maybe having more impact than the actual mindfulness meditations themselves and um someone that uh, was recommended to me many years ago by uh a great uh, friend of mine who uh, is also, you know, uh, a bit of a radical in the Buddhist world within uh, the Taratna order. He and he, he recommend me to read uh, the master and his emissary by uh, Ian McGilchrist, which is if, if you haven't come across it, you know, it's a must read or at least, you know, check out some of his talks on, on, okay. uh, we'll on, put a link to it in the show on, notes on, uh, on, on YouTube. And he explains how the different, you know, two hemispheres of the brain are evolved in different ways. And if you like, we're in a continual conversation with these two hemispheres. One is, you know, grasping and defining and, and the other is open, uh, is open context dependent, sees the whole, uh, the, the left sees the parts and it controls our right hand. We grab things with it, and the right side of the the, the right hemisphere is kind of open awareness, contextual. It's not linguistic in the same way that the left side of the brain. You know, when we say we grasp something conceptually, that's literally to do with the fact that the left side of the left hemisphere controls the right hand, and we use the mm. right hand to grasp things. Okay. Anyway. I've only got a couple of hundred pages in, but I got to, you know, I was just reading a couple of days. I mean, you know, it's a great big fat book, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit slow at reading anyway, but, um, <laughs> you know, cause I'm a little bit dyslexic. Um, and, but it's just like, d- did you know that focus, uh, it comes from a root word or the, the, the meaning of the word focus from its Latin origins is half. So we're talking half. about Half, yeah. We're talking about focus of attention all the time, right? Right, of course. I mean, yeah, that's the whole practice to begin with is attention training. Watch your thoughts, come back to awareness. Watch your yeah, thoughts, come yeah, back to awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Or pay mm-hmm. attention to 
to to the sensations in the body of the breath or whatever yep. and come back to that you know and what what's happening with what does half do you know socially we sit round the fire we're we're looking at the fire but we're feeling part of a group mm. you know it's in the evening we're relaxing you know and that is all that, you know for a long time i've used that analogy to describe what we're trying to do with mindfulness practice is re be, become able to reproduce that that mind state that physiological state of of calmness and mm. awareness that is produced when we would have in in our evolution would have sat around the fire looking at the flames telling stories feeling safe mm-hmm. in within an intimate group of people that we trust know love have lifelong caring relationships with you know yeah and we're having to learn to do that in society today because we've lost the social structures the social you know the social structures that would have satisfied our social and emotional needs in our evolution that would reduce this mind state naturally that's why it's a natural that's when we're talking about mindfulness as a mind state that's why we're talking about it as a natural thing because that's how we evolved and we've just become more and more absorbed in this you know controlling grasping organizing self-improving um functions of the left hemisphere and we've mm-hmm. become a capacity to pay it to switch attention from left hemisphere functioning to right hemisphere functioning has become terribly impaired mm-hmm. and 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 we've got and we've got to go back to that we've got to we've got you know the systemic problems are largely because every time we do something we see it out of context and there are unintended consequences so we've got to somehow see the whole and change out the way we interact with things to see to feel the whole we can never conceptualize the whole it's beyond our conception we can just feel the whole and from a i guess yeah. from a buddhist point of view this is about going back to intentionality it's like what is our our, our deeper intention you know is is it is it is it essentially compassionate is it is essentially seeking the greatest good is it essentially seeking you know an outcome that is going to be wholesome and and it's very hard to define what those things are and we have to be we have to adapt you know do one thing we get it wrong okay there's that's made a mistake how do we you know we can never get it absolutely never conceive of the cyst of a series of actions that are going to produce that result because they're always only a very limited snapshot picture Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm rambling on there, but you know that's the that's the that's the broad <laughs> picture. That's the broad picture. That's what that's what we can do with mm. social mindfulness, because as individuals, you know, we may be able to change our experience and become more, uh, you know, happy, wholesome individuals, and even you know have happier, more wholesome relationships. But until we actually come together to work together, you know, as individuals, we've got very ch- little, we're largely disempowered in, mm-hmm. in, 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 in society. You know, we can do small yeah. things, but it's, we can, the kind of things that need to change have to be a movement of change. And that has to be built on 
the way groups of us work together. And what are the big groups that we have in society today? They're organizations. They're, mm -hmm. you know, org how do organizations function? How do they engage in business? That is the route I see to the offers hope I in see. creating a more because sustainable of the future. Yeah, yeah, because, because of the, yeah. Yeah. the money so what, involved, et cetera, the number of people. So what has to happen? Like, how do you get the attention of those organizations to focus on this, you know, non, what they're going to see, I imagine, is a nonprofit. It's not a profit center for them. You know, you know, so how do they, how do you get them to recast themselves in a way where they become agents of sustainability? Well, I mean, you know, more and more organizations are concerned about sustainability. And I mean, um, it's only maybe four or five years ago that this whole uh, model of uh, what's called environment and social governance was was coming into into have an impact in the way that corporates were valued in terms of share value, um, and that's all about sustainability. It's trying to match share value with a kind of longer term value of an organization to fit in you in for fit into united nations sustainability goals and it's linking very much you know environmental you know sustainability with social sustainability and we can't you know it's recognizing the systemic problem it's so and and i'm saying you know i believe we've got to start with the way we understand ourselves and each other mm -hmm. to change our sort of whole motivational framework what feels good what feels good is when we build trusting understanding relationships and we do things together and we start to care what the outcome is because it starts to change our time frame our time frame from you know immediate trying to control things to get immediate results so so there's this as esg that's one thing now another ESG. thing esg ESG, environment and social government governance, oh. and, and that's becoming more and more something that is impacting the way corporates are valued. Now, there are, I understand, there are all sorts of failures with it and problems with it, like all sorts of things. But it's a step in the right direction. Another, another, another issue is is to do with well-being. Now, everybody knows that well-being is a problem. Everybody. You know, there, I don't expect there's a business out there that doesn't realize that time lost to, you know, sickness-related absenteeism or mental health-related absenteeism isn't costing them an awful lot of money. Mm -hmm. So they're getting to the point where they're realizing that they have to deal with this uh, well-being issues as a, as a matter of business survival, mm -hmm. you know, competitiveness. So... But, they, but, but, but it is very hard for boards to invest in something if they don't have a kind of quantitative measure that they can use to evaluate the impacts of a particular, you know, to look at the return on investment of any particular, uh, you know, intervention and, and its costing. So there's a really interesting project uh, uh, being have started last year in, uh, in an Oxford group called the World Wellbeing Movement, who, who are really working towards creating a um, 
a well-being metric that is widely accepted in the corporate field. So when we get, you know, there are all sorts of ways to measure it, but the point is in the end, in the end, somebody's got to create a standard and it's got to be, it's got to be, you know, industry-wide accepted or recognized to be useful for people to use it. So, so that's another really exciting um, avenue whereby corporates are going to have to look at beginning to create the tools that make it possible for boards to make financially, you know, sensible decisions about what the cost of a particular thing is and how to measure its value in terms of its outputs. They can build it into strategy, you know, the strategy and what they do in their organizations. Without that, you're never going to get anywhere, really. Yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's so so powerful. The, now, you you know you have done quite a bit of work in terms of bringing mindfulness training of different kinds and different sorts into into organizations. What have you seen firsthand in terms of the impact of that? You know, individually and collectively, or do you? What what's your experience in that? Okay, so the first big thing that I succeeded in or running was when I adapted mindfulness-based cognitive therapy to the workplace. Um, I, I used the, the short, you know, the, the, the best-selling self-help book version, which is Mindfulness, a Practical Guide to Finding Peace in a Frantic World, you know, written by Professor Mark Williams and Dr. Danny Penman, which was, you know, it was the self-help book that really triggered the explosion in self-help books. And and I would guess is probably still, if not the best, it's definitely one of the best self-help books on mindfulness ever written. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do better than that from a self-help perspective on how to manage stress in everyday stress. Now, I taught this adapted program using this book uh, as a sort of course resource book to... Uh, staff from the largest corporate provider of veterinary services in the UK. I mean, I think it became the largest corporate provider of veterinary services in Europe, but it had 300 practices across the country. Mm -hmm. And um, I did about, I taught about 30 of these programs. Um, you know, I set, a, set up a spin-up company from Oxford, so it was an independent company. But, but, but to maintain that sort of connection with Oxford and the kind of direction that it was going in, it was sort of maintaining the the provenance of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Um, uh, so anyway, I taught thirty of these programs. So it was about ten percent of the pop, of the of the staff of of uh, CVS Vets, this corporate mm -hmm. provider of veterinary uh, services, and. I was beginning to hear more and more how not just people, you know, in the, you know, obviously, you know, anyone that's taught mindfulness in any context, you know, some people it doesn't work for, you know, we don't know what, how to get it to work or, you know, we still think it should work, but we don't know how to get it across. But I was getting some remarkable results. We did do a trial which had very good results. It wasn't publishable, but we definitely could see that there were, 
you know, possibly, you know, it was an indication that there were significant reductions in stress and improvements in mindfulness. But the kind of reports that were coming back, the anecdotal reports were that the whole culture, the whole atmosphere in veterinary practices was changing as a mm. result of, you know, because they're for small practices on the whole, you know, between half a dozen and 25 people. And, you know, two or three people, maybe people that otherwise that were a bit stressed and reactive and treating people in a way that were, you know, making, putting, putting, making everybody walk on edge cells, beginning to Mm -hmm. change the way that they were responding, reacting and understanding the impact that that was having. And that was changing the whole culture in these veterinary practices, which are surprisingly enough, incredibly stressful environments. You know, veterinary surgeons are the, you know, got four times the national average of suicide rates. Wow! For example, wow! Yeah. I mean, who knows yeah. that? It's like that's great. Uh, I suppose if you step back and think about it, it, make, it makes some sense. But it, uh, I don't think a lot of people do. So thank you for highlighting that. Yeah, I mean, they have incredibly pressurized training. They have to have higher grades to get into veterinary school and doctors. Uh, they have to learn about all sorts of different animals, not just one. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. they end up running small practices, and they've got very little business tra- business you know business training. So uh, they've got no under- no understanding or very little training in terms of social skills. I mean, right? That's what I was yeah. just thinking. Then you yeah. have people coming in under extremely stress with their their beloved yeah. animal yeah. who's in life yeah. and death situations, yeah. and then there's the financial aspect of like, yeah. can they yeah. actually afford? I mean, it's a it's obviously yeah. a complete formula for massive stress. Yeah. And the culture in the industry was that, you know, stress was a kind of badge of honor. And, <laughs> right. you know, it was a kind of, of man, man up thing. Man and, up, right, and, exactly. And right. Yeah. the impact of, of, that, of those programs changed the whole way in which stress was regarded in the whole of the veterinary, veterinary industry in the UK. Wow. It was like, we've got to reevaluate this. This isn't, we've got to think carefully, you know, the whole, the veterinary press was changing this attitude towards the man up thing. Mm. So it was, it's at a time where this was, it was an early, one of the first sort of big examples of this shift from realizing that this man up thing was not going, was not the right way to approach it. Uh, So that would have been, that would have been, you know, 2012, 13, 14, I did that work. So, so you know, going back that far, so it had that level of impact in the veterinary well, profession and one of the first, first professions where this shift of recognizing that the man up to stress thing as a badge of, badge of order wasn't the right approach. Mm, wow, amazing. So, uh, so you created an entirely different not entirely different, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, a refocused training towards the social aspects of mindfulness. And how does that differ from, you know, traditional mindfulness training? Well, first of all, there's this first shift, which is really, you know, in if we're talking about traditional mindfulness training, I think we have to be quite clear about what we mean, because we might be talking about Buddhist mindfulness, which again is a totally different thing. But, you know, as we understand it, 
the the mainstream that has most of the research has been done on is this standard eight week program with 40 minute half an hour 40 minute guided mindfulness meditations every day for eight weeks now the 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 frantic well course i taught to the to the vets you know that was reducing it to 15 minutes a day 15 20 minutes 10 15 20 minutes a day so that's first thing is reducing it and explaining it much better and delivering it in a workshop workplace environment so you know an interactive learning process that's familiar with the workplace so there's a shift in the in the way it's taught you know to be relevant to that context okay so 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 the next step then was to go take those sort of teaching approaches and say well what am i really trying to do here i'm really trying to change the culture in organizations mm. to be more human to create a well-being inclusive culture where teams can perform more effectively to create a psychologically safe environment where people where you know that produces well-being that produces innovation produces exploration uh you know through creating more of a, a human environment in those teams um and you know i got this amazing opportunity to to develop a program specifically to do that for nhs hospital staff it was it was a well-being program but it was recognized that what was important in teams and this was a this was an orthopedic hospital with surgical you know teams surgical teams you know high pressure incredibly complicated work dealing with hip replacements and things like this you know um and across the organization um that the communication was really important in how teams work so there was an understanding that communication methods um are the way people communicated in teams and well-being were linked to performance and patient outcomes so those were so we were agreeing that these were our our broad brush of objectives and in the end the funding came from a charitable source in the hospital the royal orthopedic hospital in birmingham that funded innovation that was to do with improving um you know patient outcomes so we had to justify that but so i could create justify an approach that described social mindfulness or social embodied mindfulness in a way that enable people to communicate better to create safer you know psychologically safe relationships understand each other self-regulate and use that self-regulation and capacity for cognitive improvement that self-regulation affords to combine that with interpersonal emotional regulation mm -hmm. to create a socially supported mindfulness mindful environment that could improve the culture and improve performance improve outcomes wow wow so that's what you did in the and how did that work well yeah we did we managed to organize a trial and we had uh, really good results uh you know statistic statistically significant reductions in uh, self-reported stress scores the ones that are widely used in you know comparing that with other mindfulness-based interventions used in therapy you know this we're using the same measures of 
of stress and mindfulness to, to so that we could have a comparison of how effective it was to compare it with the sort of mainstream mindfulness programs. And we used another measure called basic psychological needs at work scale that has three elements of autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Mm-hmm. And these are recognized as being key elements to human needs in um, psychological needs in a workplace environment or in, in any environment environment. They come from um, a, a body of theory called self-determination theory. And we got statistically significant improvements in basic psychological needs at work scale scores as well. This is before and after a six week program and in a one month follow up. So, you know, it was, it's kind of like, this is publishable stuff we got. Right, and you did, in fact, publish And we it. got it eventually published, uh, you know, it was published online in 2019 and then, you know, hard copy uh, in in the journal Mindfulness in 2020. So, and I don't, I don't know of any other mindfulness program that's done, used that measure either. So, so you know. So, um, so now you're involved with trying to get the word out to do this great work in a, in a little bit broader scale. And so this is your mindfulness-based, MBOE, mindfulness-based organizational... Education. <laughs> education, yeah. pardon me, um, MBOE. And your, um, and your objective is to, I mean, what is, what's your objective? What are you, what are you trying to do with this new framework and this new point of view? Well, I mean, you know, my vision is, 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 is a future a long-term future for humanity, all right? <laughs> Wait, no, that's a novel idea. Yeah. Let's have a future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah, exactly so. And to be quite honest, I can't be bothered to get out of bed unless if I think it's all going to go to hell in a handcar. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. see the point of doing anything while that, you know, my children or my grandchildren are going to go have a very nasty life and a mm-hmm. short and unpleasant end. I mm-hmm. can't see the point in doing anything in this world apart from trying to create a better future for them and others on, you know, and, and future generations. And we're not talking about tens of generations. We're talking about the generations that are alive, that are, mm-hmm. you know, that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And I'm with you in the sense that it feels yeah. to me like there's a there's a bit of fiddling while Rome burns going yeah. on here. Yeah. Not a bit, but kind of massively. Yeah. And it's like the house is on fire and people are trying to figure out what's on TV. And yeah. it's it's a it's a little bit like, hey, we need to not treat business as usual here. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a there's an urgency here that matters. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I share that, um, that's that, that sense of like, why am I doing this work and why am I talking to you and why am I trying to promote mm-hmm. your work and others? Because I feel like it's imperative and I don't know another way than to do whatever I can and to help yeah. coaches in the world and therapists in the world help people connect to their senses yeah. in a way where it becomes actionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because your senses are going to tell you what to do if you just pay attention. That's my bias around this thing. And and your senses, we're talking here from a human perspective as being primarily adapted to a social environment. It's our feelings. 
We're talking yes. about how does it feel? And when we talk about that, we're talking about social emotions. Yes, 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 yes. And it's how we relate to those feelings that enables us to build relationships of trust and understanding where we can work together for collective good. And that's yeah. the only way we're going to deal with any of these problems. Because mm -hmm. at the moment we're disempowered as individuals. We're isolated. We're lonely. We're suffering mental health problems because of the stresses of this isolated life that we experience all about self-interest. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I have another... I have another podcast that I, I, I do called The Connected Conversation, and it's about mindful communications, and it's a big part of it is how do we on purpose create connection moment to moment with other people? Yeah. And on not only that, our lives and ourselves. Yeah. It's like yeah. how do we live in – because our minds are relationally oriented. Mm -hmm. You know, we mm -hmm. only have a sense of ourselves through our experience of the outer world, and we develop this yeah. map of what's it like to be me in a yeah. body in this space and time. It's, and more, then, than our, it's more than our minds, Brett. It's yeah, reality. Yeah. And this is a point. It's helping us understand reality by reclaiming our connectedness. And it's when we, when we, it's enabling us to comprehend reality, encounter reality, participate in reality, reclaiming our capacity to participate in reality, to work together to do something about the reality of the situation. Mm. So, 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 so that's, that's the, that's the kind of like the, the, the 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 theory of how we're going to achieve this sustainable future so so in your in your work in your training let's say i come to your your a workshop that you're running what are you doing in the workshop that i'm not going to find in another with that kind of a focus and some other kind of a mindfulness what are, what is your actually if you can give us an, an example, perhaps, of maybe one of the exercises or the focuses that you do with your workshops. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because it enables me to answer another question. <laughs> 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 well, go back to the, 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 the question of what am I trying to achieve? You know, I, I said the vision, but, so, but that there are goals here. And the first yeah. goal is to change the perception of mindfulness in the in the world of mindfulness and in wider society that it's understood as okay it's always going to be a stress management thing but why mindfulness mm -hmm. you know it's like why mindfulness okay can help us to cope with stress can help us to manage stress but i'm saying mindfulness is much more than that that today's need is about recreating using mindfulness to understand how we work as social, emotional, relational beings to work together to have an impact on the culture of organizations and communities that enables, that empowers organizations and communities to adapt to the changes that we need to make in order to create a sustainable future for mankind and life on earth. Okay. So, so that's, so that's that's so so how the next question is how do you do that which is what you're asking how mm -hmm. okay well it's like i kind of told the story already it's turning it's applying a practical approach to explaining 
short mindful how short mindfulness meditation practices work delivering that in the context of a workshop where people are learning there's an educational element here it's like you know what would happen if you went into a well-run workplace workshop training people are going to talk to each other they're going to discuss ideas they're going to do activities and these are all educational activities that are having a dual purpose they're understanding the theoretical theoretical function of mindfulness in many aspects not just in its stress reduction but in how it enables people to create cohesive inclusive adaptive high-performing teams but that those conversations and those activities are creating the conditions for social mindfulness because they are creating interest interest listen developing listening skills developing the skills to describe experience developing the language to describe experience developing yes. the skills to listen without trying to give people advice and tell them what they should do or they shouldn't do to bring curiosity into the relationship to learn these skills through the workshops themselves. So it's got, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's doing both the theory and the experience through the workshop, which is what a good workshop, work, workshop training should, should involve. Beautiful. And then it's using short mindfulness, mindfulness meditations as the practical element of the self inquiry, the self regulation, the communication elements as the, uh, interpersonal emotional regulation systems and explaining why these two things interact to so the self-regulation and the interpersonal regulation how they create you know in a sense the mind of the team that mm -hmm. begins to function by listening to different opinions not necessarily trying to get it all right all the time understanding that there's that, that different perspectives are perhaps equally you know, equally valid at different times. We, in the end, we have to choose one, but it doesn't mean it is the, the absolute right one that is fixed and true forever. It's just the one that we agree to follow for the time being, mm -hmm. because it seems mm -hmm. to be make most sense. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, so it's, it's beginning to develop quite a deep philosophical understanding of the nature of things from, you know, understanding how the way we think you know, if you like, it's it's developing a theory of knowledge as well in the workplace, as as over and you know, to help people understand what they are actually doing with technical solution type related skills, as yeah. in a social process, and making it as explicit as possible that this is what you're doing when you're telling people that you're teaching them to do it. You're not you're not kind of like guru sitting there oozing some kind of magical wisdom that they can mm. pick up. You know, you're not trying to get them to, you know, in a therapeutic context, you're asking the, 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 the therapy, the client or whatever, to transfer some agency to the therapist and that the therapist takes responsibility for that to enable you, you know, and you trust the, the you know, you're blindfolded and the, and, and the therapist is going to help you put it right. <laughs> it's not saying anything. I'm, I'm trying to create full autonomy here. I'm telling you how this works and I'm giving you the opportunity to learn how it works and empower you to use this to change the culture in your teams. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, that's a big mission. That's a big vision.
Uh, so if if a coach is hearing this and they're interested or anyone is hearing this and they're interested in learning more about uh, your work and what you're doing, how would they connect? Well, I guess the first thing is to, you know, check out socialmindfulness.net, which is trying to kind of put this together in a wider picture, trying to build this uh, uh, new stage in, the, in, 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 in what I'm doing. Um, Yes, there are contact forms on uh, that you can contact me through socialmindfulness.net. Um, my corporate, you know, my business website is mindfulnessconnected.com, um, which is really, you know, in the process of being reformed to really just support socialmindfulness.net. So I guess the, the next big stage is, is really this... Um, developing this international team, beginning to train people internationally um, and build a, a network that is disseminating the, the ideas. You know, I've got a couple of, you know, hopeful things in the pipeline that will kickstart me. I'm looking, really looking for, you know, seed funding to get this going and some initial, mm -hmm. you know, to build an organization to organize all of this training stuff because I can't do it all myself, partly because uh, I really don't like doing all of that stuff. <laughs> Well, right, exactly. I mean, I like, a lot I like, of us are in the same boat, yeah. you know. We're... <laughs> but partly because it's a complete waste of my energy to do all of that. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's yeah. kind of like yeah. Fine, yeah. You, you have more important things to be doing, but that's got to be done too, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I'm looking so, for um, collaborators, really. There the you moment. go. Collab yeah. we, and you, you, need a, you need a community of folk to pull this yeah. off. Yeah. And yeah. so. Yeah. And that's why I'm talking to you because, you know, to what little degree the Mindful Culture Association can help further and amplify your work, you know, I'm, that's available to you as a resource. And, and, um, and then the people who are listening to this, uh, you know, reach out, connect with Mark, get in touch with him, stay in, you know, watch his feeds. He's always putting out great stuff on LinkedIn and other places. Yeah, yeah. Connect um, with me on LinkedIn too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, thank you so much for having such a big vision and for sounding the alarm in a way, you know, like this really, this matters and it's important and uh, people need to be doing, it can't be business as usual for the next 50 years. It's got to be, it's got to be something different. And uh, mm -hmm. I really appreciate your work in that regard. Oh, thank you, Brett. And it's a pleasure to, always a ple pleasure to, um, you know, whatever shoot the crap <laughs> with you yeah we're shooting crap yeah no but it's it's i mean my experience with you is it's always such a you're just you just go so deep with this content and you have such a big uh, intellectual cognitive facility as well as an experience space and a capacity to put this together in a way that's sort of like I I feel like you're like you know you're you're trying to describe a, a vision that is so big that it doesn't even fit into words, and yeah. so it's kind of it's, it's a struggle for it's almost like you know the 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 metaphor about all oh, the ten ten blind men with their hands on an elephant you know it's a little bit like that and in my conversations with you over the last several years yeah. I think I'm getting a sense of the elephant you know and 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 you're always saying there's an elephant here in the end reality you can't put it into words i mean even the word reality isn't satisfactory because it suggests there's something Precisely. that isn't reality you know I mean <laughs> <laughs> 
So thank you so much for your yeah. work and your mission and your vision. And um, let's do this again. I think we need to yeah. do another round of this at some oh, point. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah. But it's lovely to talk. Yeah. Thank you now. Take care. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.